We all experience stress. It's a normal part of life, but the way we experience it can be wildly different. A lot of us think of stress as emotional or psychological, but it can definitely show up in the physical as well. For me, I'm thinking scrunched up shoulders or that sick feeling in my stomach. For a lot of us, the stress comes from feeling like we're in a situation we can't control or can't figure out how to manage, like losing a job, finding out about a new illness, or even watching a loved one suffer. It's really great from my point of view to see so much attention being paid to managing stress, but sometimes just trying to find care can be overwhelming in and of itself. That's where mindfulness can help. It's a practice that's had many different names over thousands of years, but essentially it's the idea of focusing on the present moment without judgment. It's about finding a place in the now to reduce the stress associated with worrying about the past or thinking about the future. Our ancestors knew it long before we needed fancy imaging tests to prove it to us, but we do have a lot of evidence that practicing mindfulness not only calms our minds, but also our physical responses. It helps us by activating what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, the system that helps us to rest and reset. Practicing mindfulness involves a lot of different types of techniques, from breathing methods, guided imagery, practices that help us relax our body and mind, all to help reduce our stress. To help us understand the practical benefits, I spoke with Dr. Seth Gillihan. He's a clinical psychologist who specializes in mindfulness-centered cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm Dr. Neha Bhattuk, and you're listening to Health Discovered, a podcast from WebMD. Why don't we just start up front with some definitions? What is mindfulness? What is meditation? Are they the same thing? Can we use the terms interchangeably? Yeah, that's a great place to start because I think the terms often are used interchangeably. When someone says mindfulness, we probably automatically picture someone doing meditation. And meditation is probably the most common type of formal mindfulness practice. But I, I really prefer a much broader, more inclusive definition of mindfulness that doesn't, that, that doesn't restrict it to these, you know, somewhat isolated moments in our lives, you know, five or 10 or 20 minutes a day. Because really what, what mindfulness is, is just being in our lives, being more fully in our lives. I like to think of it as having a, a kind of intimacy with our experience. So we're really close to it because it's, it's, I mean, it's the antidote to how, how we tend to live most of our lives, which is very far from our experience, meaning we're not really doing what we're doing. We're thinking about something else. We're, we're lost in thought. So being present is, is really central to mindfulness. And then the other big part of it is opening to our experience. So we might be present a lot of the time, but also resisting what's happening. Like, like I don't want this to happen, or 
Or there's a more subtle form of resistance, which is, I like this and I want to, I want it to keep happening. I want to make sure that I keep having this experience, which takes us out of the experience itself and puts us more into our hopes for for what's going to happen and and an implicit rejection of you know, things that we don't want uh, in our lives. And and the problem with that is it just it it really kind of piles up the suffering um, that, that we experience in a way that's not necessary. So, you know, I, I recently spoke with Willem Kuyken uh, about mindfulness, and he's done a ton of research on uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy for depression. And I love this, this additional element that he added, which I think has always been implicit uh, in, in my mind with mindfulness, but he really made it explicit, which is, Along with openness to our experience and presence, there's there's a sense of intention, a sense of directedness. So I'm not just present and open because I'm present and welcoming of my experience because there's there's some kind of not a, not a goal exactly because that would suggest an endpoint. Like I'm going to get there and then I'm done but instead a, a more open-ended intention and it you know we we get to decide for ourselves what that might be but maybe it's something like like clarity or love or uh, ease uh, or or trust uh, but but there is there is a kind of directedness to it yeah you know i love everything that you just said because one of the things we didn't say is happiness Right. So it's not necessarily feeling like you're happy. It's just that there is some experience that you are a part of at this moment in time and you're fully living it. Um, and I like the idea of intention that there's some sort of perhaps some purpose to it or some clarity around what it means in your life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're just like super happy and just off the wall excited. What do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's uh, happiness isn't isn't the goal of mindfulness. At least I don't think of it that way. It often emerges. We often can experience a a a, a deep uh, sort of joy that comes through through being present and a joy that is uh, much more likely than uh, than if we're if we're restricting our acceptable range of experience to a, a very narrow band of what we typically think of as as good or happy. So someone someone once said that, see if I can remember the the quote, something like, joy is your experience minus your judgment of it. And I really like that. So, so joy again, not not this kind of um, not a more superficial type of uh, like like a smiley smiley face type of happiness, but but a, something deeper, maybe closer to to uh, contentment or or well being. Uh, but something I think that I think when we find that experience, it it often feels in a way more profound. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because for years I have not taken a break from work at all. And so it's always felt like on the back of my mind, whether I'm with my family or I'm out to dinner or wherever I am, I 
I'm carrying something additional on top. So I'm kind of like, I need this to be over so I can do, you know, X, Y, and Z or whatever it will be. And I recently went on vacation with my kids and we went to a candy shop. (laughs) So I literally saw my 10 year old like acting out that expression like a kid in the candy shop she was not smiling she was she had a bag in her hand and she was on a mission and she was and i was just like wow she is like completely present and just in this moment and it was it brought me so much joy i wasn't thinking about anything else but just watching her so are these the kinds of moments that we're trying to sort of on the spectrum of life trying to to you know a seesaw toward absolutely i i have to ask parenthetically they are uh, uh, vacation <laughs> yeah. with kids almost sounds like an oxymoron <laughs> <laughs> i guess it, it depends a lot i mean depending on the age of the kids and and the specific kids it was a scene i'm telling you i went with it was an intergenerational travel i had two grand two parents in wheelchairs a two-year-old in a stroller oh my my 10-year-old my eight-year-old and my husband so it was it was a scene it could have been very you know seesawing into unhappiness but we were all Mm. just enjoying what we were doing so it was it ended up being fine well i appreciated what you said about it was like you were carrying something because I can, I can certainly relate to that, and I think so many of us can relate to that feeling of there's this, there's this weight or this burden, this baggage that comes with me wherever I go. Maybe it's you know, a lot of negative thoughts. Maybe it's this kind of unspoken belief that I'm not enough. I have to do more. I have to achieve more. And... And those those types of that that weight, it that's so much of, of what I think we can lay down through simply being in our experience just as it is. And that's what I really appreciate about that description is that I think we often think of mindfulness as something that I'm gonna do. Okay, I'm gonna bring this extra thing along. And it feels, I mean, I think a lot of the time, like another task, like, okay, oh yeah, I have to do that. I have to remember to be mindful. But I've always thought of, of mindfulness as more like subtraction than addition. It's, it's clearing the clutter. It's getting, getting back to ourselves in a more unfiltered way, back to exactly what's happening um, and, and releasing the stuff we don't need, like, like our judgments like if I'm uh, if I'm having a conversation with someone, and maybe it's a bit difficult at times, or uh, or you know, there there are a lot of uh, strong emotions involved, then I can just be in that experience, and it's you know maybe not entirely positive, but I'm not adding that additional layer of judgment of like this shouldn't be happening, or I hate this, or why me, but just allowing it to to be as it is. And there, I think there's a lot of relief in that, a lot of laying down whatever it is we're carrying. Yeah, that is, yeah, just listening to you say all of that and just sort of say, you know, it it could be a negative experience, could be something not that you had expected or wanted that you're experiencing, but just removing the judgment part of it is very freeing. 
So what are some of the benefits beyond sort of potentially the mental health benefits? Are there physical mm. benefits too? You know, and I hate to make that and, kind of sorry, I hate to make that sort of distinction, but just if you could talk about it holistically. Well, mindfulness and meditation practice are a lot like I think a lot like sleep in a way in that whenever we compare some outcome with respect to sleep or in this case with respect to mindfulness more mindful presence tends to improve that outcome so some of the common ones that that we care about are things like uh, our obviously you know you mentioned mental health where it's you know well established to uh, be a, a an effective way to reduce stress to relieve anxiety, to boost our mood, uh, prevent depression. But in the, um, you know, in the in a broader sense, it's uh, pretty much good for everything. I mean, so for for sleep, uh, we tend to 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 rest better when uh, we're, we're letting go of things in, in, you know mentally in front of us or behind us, and because that's really, I mean, sleep is maybe nothing more than an invitation to let go of any sense of doing and just be in in the present and trust that whatever's in front of us or behind us you know can wait until till we're awake and and need to deal with those things so uh so sleep i think is an is an important one um relationships relationships tend to to be stronger when we're more present um, and more mindful. And people tend to respond to, to us differently when we're fully present. I think because, I mean, unfortunately, it's a fairly rare thing to, to truly have someone's full attention uh, and to, to really feel uh, like, like someone is, is with us all the way. So, I mean, there, there are lots, lots of other things. Yes, physical health as well, um, uh, blood pressure, those types of things, um, I I can't think of anything where uh, where mindfulness would be a contraindication. Like, well, you know, don't do that if you have this condition. It seems like it pretty much just improves things. That's not to say people don't have negative experiences when they're meditating. For example, at times um, it can be a kind of ungrounding experience for for people if they've had certain types of experiences or you know we have certain psychiatric conditions. But um, but for the vast majority of people, uh, oh boredom! Boredom is a big risk factor for for meditation practice for most of us. Um, but but even when we're fully present with our boredom, it ends up being a lot less boring. There's so many interesting things you said there. So I wanted to kind of talk about a couple. One was it's interesting the relationship with sleep. So when I was in college, I did my thesis on napping and sleeping. And I just for this podcast had an opportunity to speak with my um, my thesis, the grad student who had helped me with my thesis. And she just wrote a book called The Downstate, where she's talk. she's kind of equating things like sleep to what we do, what we experience with meditation when we're in sort of this down state, we're tamping down our flight or, fri flight or fright response and just all of the physical health benefits that come with that. 
Um, so, you know, boosts to your immune system, like you said, your blood pressure comes down, um, your heart rate can come down. So a lot of those things really are sort of like experiencing this downstate while you're awake. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great comparison. I think it's very apt. And yeah, one of the one of the huge benefits of conscious uh, mindfulness practice is we we live so much of our lives without realizing it in a kind of low grade or sometimes high grade uh, uh, state of you know that that sympathetic nervous system activation the you know fight flight or or freeze response and and uh, most of the time mindfulness tends to be a, a calming experience. Uh, and and can activate the antidote, the parasympathetic nervous system to uh, to calm down um, that that constant sense of being on alert or you know being on, on the lookout for threat. That's a that's a super. Um, I mean, it sort of goes without saying, but that's a very stressful way to live, and and also chronic unmanaged stress, as you well know, has all kinds of of negative health implications. I mean, pretty much the, you know, I said, sleep and mindfulness practice are good for everything and stress when it's, when it goes on for a long time, uh, tends to be kind of bad for everything. So, so yeah, there's, there is something very calming, grounding, centering about very simply coming into the moment and for me, I think a lot of it has to do with just how how immensely manageable the present moment is, this exact moment. So if I'm thinking about what you know, things that might go wrong in the future or you know, things that I could have done better in the past, that really opens up kind of a, I mean, really an, an unlimited amount of things for my brain to try to sort through and manage. But the present is, I mean, it's so limited in terms of what I actually have to deal with. So even if things kind of suck in in my world right now, it's usually in a way that's not completely overwhelming. That's not to say that, you know, there aren't these moments in our lives that that really do overwhelm us. But but for our sort of you know day-to-day garden variety types of um, worries and strains, most of those are not a part of this present moment. And when we bring our attention to what's actually happening, we can find uh, a lot more peace. Hmm. And, and then you mentioned something that was really interesting about potential, you know, adverse effects, something when you're potentially starting a practice, you're not used to doing these things, and it may force you to relive moments that were traumatic for you? Or can you talk about that? What are some of the sort of the hard part of starting a mindfulness practice? Yeah, so I'll I'll mention a few um, less common types of reactions. Um, But, you know, for someone who who may have, um, you may struggle with a condition like schizophrenia, um, where it's, uh, you know, the the mind uh, at, at times tends to lose contact with reality, then um, you know, there, there could be a, a, a sense of, um, 
I mean, that the, the type of uh, open awareness that we experience in meditation um, could be a, a kind of destabilizing um, experience. For those who've gone through severe um, uh, traumas, abuse, uh, you know, who may uh, tend to dissociate, um, there can also be, you know, it can be a kind of, um, in a different way, but, a, but, but also a destabilizing um, exercise. Uh, so we want, want to be mindful of those types of things. Aside from those, those types of experiences, I, I think, you know, for, for all of us, there's a reason why we don't tend to live most of our lives in a kind of you know, totally in the moment sort of way. And a lot of it has to do, maybe, maybe most or all of it, with, you know, we, each of us experiences the world from a very egocentric point of view. Like it feels like everything, like, like everything in the universe is around us. And because, I mean, it is, we're, we're the center of, of the universe with respect to ourselves. And, and we have a strong uh, survival instinct. And so our, the ego part of us latches onto that and wants to keep us safe. And so it, it, it also perceives how, how unsafe it is to be, you know, these, these small fragile beings in this vast universe. And so the, the automatic tendency I think all of us have is to try to attach ourselves to other things, to try to own things that will in some way enlarge us, that will make us bigger and better. So it could be, uh, you know, material things like wealth and possessions. It could also be a sense of, of self-righteousness. I'm, I'm right. Others are wrong. I'm morally superior. I'm, I'm a better person. I have more accomplishments. We try to, you know, aggrandize ourselves in these ways. So, so our grasping for those types of things, I think, is you know what is often referred to as as our attachments. Those those ways we try to like, like, cling on or, or get other things to stick to us, so we make ourselves bigger. And I think really the 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 way out of that, or what what mindfulness offers, is something that sounds similar, but it's so different. And I don't remember if you and I have talked about this distinction before, but. But really, it's it's connection that we're after. It's true connection, and connection to me isn't a sense of it's not owning things, but it's belonging. It's feeling like I I belong, and when we, when we belong to a, a group, a family, um, a, a community, the universe, we don't have to worry about trying to own everything because we already feel like we belong. Yeah. You know, that's really just so interesting. It, it, it brings up something for me, which is within our family. So in school, my younger child has started to learn about some of these concepts and trying to put it to practice when there are moments where supposedly children have a hard time controlling their emotions than adults. I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> that may not be true. But um, so she, you know, she came home with a, she's created a mindfulness corner in our house where she's put up a, uh, pictures of hands that she's drawn. So she'll say, you know, when you're upset, you have to, you know, count on your fingers, one, two, three, four, five, blow on your thumb and do that 10 times to calm down. 
And so I happily bring her to her corner when she is very upset. And she says, no, I'm not doing these things. These are, <laughs> you know, no. <laughs> so how do you, in your practice, sort of bring people to this and give them simple strategies that they can use in the moment when they're feeling sort of out of control or unable to connect um, and feel like they belong? Well, I mean, there, there, there are two parts uh, to my answer. The first is about the types of things we do to, to do just what you said. So, uh, you know, how, how do we maintain the, the, the person, the outlook, the behavior that we want when we know we're going to be challenged? And so, you know, some of that I think is planning in advance. Um, you know, there, there are times when I recognize, wow, I am, uh, you know, I didn't sleep well last night. I, um, or, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to need to watch myself. I'm going to need to mm. be careful, you know, the way I respond to my kids, because my mind is going to mm -hmm. tell me that, you know, they're being irritating, but really <laughs> it's just that my nervous system is a bit raw right now. Mm. And so I think that's a lot of where the, the awareness and, and the present focus of mindfulness can be really helpful. We can also, you know, plan as best as as we can to to you know use the tools that we have earlier in the process before things have really run away from us because when things are really hot then then you know when we most need the tools of of mindfulness or you know, more constructive ways of thinking then they're often least yeah. accessible to us but the other part that i think is i find so important to keep in mind is that there are going to be those those moments and and probably a lot of them when we don't respond in the way we want to, when we forget the types of things that we've worked on, when you know, all the work and the practice and the awareness somehow just abandons us. And in those moments, I, I think the, there is, there's another level of mindful awareness, which is recognizing that we're human, and that we have these, these limitations. And God, I, I mean, this is certainly a... a a growing edge for myself. It's, I find it so easy, you know, as someone who writes about these things and, you know, teaches about them and interviews people about them, when I find myself struggling to feel like, oh my God, I'm such a phony, uh, a fraud, you know, that, how can I be struggling with these things that, you know, what would people think if they, if they realized that I'm fully human, that I'm a full human being, that I'm not, uh, you know, some, some other, uh, type of, of, of being, um, which, I mean, I think the real answer is, I don't think anybody would be surprised. Um, and I think it's just, again, you know, it's the, it's my own ego wanting to believe that, that somehow I should be able to transcend these things, uh, that I think everybody else tends to struggle with. So I think we can bring that, that acceptance to ourselves. We do the best we can and then um, make room for the imperfections that all of us carry. Right. No, that makes so much sense. And I think, again, it goes back to your just don't add the judgment of yourself to the potential bad behavior, right? We're all human. It happens sometimes, and it's important to kind of go back and correct it. You know, I'm speaking, thinking specifically about maybe my children or family or a coworker or what have you. 
Um, but adding the judgment and the shame of why, you know, why did I do that? And it, it, it's probably less helpful than thinking, okay, what are some of the things I can do to prevent this in the in the future and, and you know, keep this practice up regularly throughout the day? For me, it's really a deep breathing. That's the key. That's my way in. Um, throughout the day, because I think thinking about finding some time or, you know, as you said, like, okay, I got to add mindfulness to my to my day. It's really hard. But when I start feeling like I'm tensing up or I'm stressing out, or I can feel it, like you said, when you start feeling that, that's when I'm just sort of like, okay, I've got to take my really deep breaths just for a few seconds and and get that edge off to kind of come back. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the breath because it's always with us. The breath is always in the present. And it has this really close connection to our nervous system. So just bringing attention to it tends to get us out of that kind of automatic mode and can turn on that calming parasympathetic response. Any other, you know, people are always thinking about apps and other tools. Any thoughts on that? Or do you ever advise people to try apps or other tools? You know, I, I, haven't, um, I haven't made that recommendation recently. I mean, I, I'm involved in uh, you know, de- developing some meditations um, you know, for the, the uh, mental health app that I work with. Um, so I, I think a lot of people you know, can find a lot of benefit in those things. I, I don't think there's any, any wrong way to practice uh, mindfulness and meditation. Um, but, but I would, whatever people, whatever a person's approach is, I would encourage them to, maybe, maybe the most important thing to remember is that there's no one right way to do it. There's no wrong way to come into the present. So, you know, whether we do that through uh, walking in nature or you know, sitting on a meditation cushion or doing Tai Chi or you know, talking with a family member. I think any of those, any of those ways that we allow the present moment to really find us, I think are going to enrich our lives. That is just so helpful in terms of just the day-to-day ways you can do it. There's nothing like that you mentioned there that we don't have access to for most of us. Yeah, that, that's a nice way of saying it. It's always available. I remember my one of my first yoga instructors saying that the breath is always available to you. And thankfully, I remember that when our second child was being born, I was freaking out. And, and uh, but remembering that, just coming back to the breath, I was like, ah, then I was back. And that was, that was, yeah, yeah. Simple yet so, such a deep experience. Yeah, no, it's so it's so true. My father is has just always, you know, just culturally, it's been a big part of our lives, um, different types of breathing exercises and things like that. But he, whenever he would take his blood pressure, would bring me over when I was in medical school and say, you know, watch this. You, if you don't believe it, watch it. So he would take his blood pressure, then he would do just two minutes of deep breathing, and show me his blood pressure and heart rate again. And it was just profound to see that, you know, recorded in metrics that we use in medicine. Yeah, that's really cool. And neat that he showed you that at a young age to make it real. 
Well, Seth, I always have so much fun talking to you. This was, I I was so mindful and present during this conversation. So I just really appreciate you again, taking the time to, to speak with me. Well, it's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you and I find it really easy to, to talk with you and, and to share this time. So thank you very much. So mindfulness doesn't always require setting aside chunks of time in our busy schedules. There's a lot of different things we can do and you really kind of have to just pick your passion or choose your own adventure. For example, think about focusing on your breathing. If you're somebody who feels like taking deep breaths might be just the easiest way for you to do it. Whenever you have a negative thought or you're feeling stressed, try to take a step back, take a deep breath, close your eyes, and then focus on your breath as it moves in and out of your body. Count the breaths in, count as you breathe out, Just sitting and breathing for even a minute can help. There's other things that can help too. If you're less into breathing and more into moving, think about walking meditation. Find a place in your office or outside or at work where you have a good 10 to 20 feet that you can walk and just start walking slowly. Focus on the experience of walking. Just focus on the things that you're feeling as you're standing there, moving from one spot to the next. When you reach the end of your walk, turn around and walk back to where you started from. The whole time, try to maintain your awareness of how you're feeling and where you are. And if breathing and walking doesn't do it for you and you just wanna try something while you're sitting there, Think about sitting in a comfortable chair with your back straight, feet flat on the floor, put your hands on your lap, and then try breathing in through your nose. Focus on the breath as it comes into your body and out of your body. Anytime your mind wanders, don't judge yourself. Just try to bring your mind back to counting the breaths in counting the breaths out. Any of these can help bring your attention back to the present. Try it out. Special thanks to Dr. Seth Gillahan. If you enjoyed his insights as much as I did, then you can check out his podcast called Think, Act, Be. He also has books and courses you can learn about on his website, sethgillahan.com. You've been listening to Health Discovered a WebMD podcast. I'm Dr. Neha Patak, Chief Physician Editor for Health and Lifestyle Medicine, and I want you to be healthy, happy, and here for our latest episodes. So follow us on your favorite podcast app. See you next time.